In this episode of The Different Podcast, Steve Chalk and I explore how our struggle to like and love others is connected to our struggle to like and love ourselves. We talk about the work of the philosopher Martin Buber and reflect on a tweet from Elmo of Sesame Street fame. We explore the impact that knowing we are loved by others can have on what we believe about ourselves. And reflecting on the words of Anthony DeMello, we consider the invitation to behold the one beholding us and smiling. And we try and understand how we can be a conduit for the divine in our relationships with others and how this can change everything. Steve, we're back. We are. We've had a little, what's that word? Interlude. Interlude, hiatus. Hiatus. It's a fancy word. A little gap. A little gap. But we're back. We're back. And this is episode 17. Exciting. And yeah, really looking forward to this. And weirdly, we're recording this in my flat, which is... It's you're, you're bringing work all the way <laughs> all home. The way That's home. what you do. You've broken the boundaries. You mixed it all up. I did also just make you a big pile of chilli. So. Which was good. And I had two bowls yeah. with lots of cheese. So it was fantastic stuff. I recommend yours chilli to anyone. <laughs> I really do, Jill. It was wonderful. That's very kind of you. Anyway, it is great to be back recording another episode of our podcast. And I wanted to begin, Stephen, I I don't know if you saw it, but in the news this week, it was reported um, about a tweet from the wonderful Sesame Street character, Elmo, Mm. which is bizarre to think that he has his very own Twitter X account. A fluffy, (laughs) a fluffy puppet. A red fluffy puppet. Um, but it was what he tweeted and the response that came that's been really fascinating. And I think that's why it caught caught the news. So he tweeted out and he just asked people, hey, how's everyone doing? By the way, it should be a miracle that a puppet can tweet I'm, anything. I'm not quite sure he's got Exit. fingers. I suppose you're supposed to say X rather than Twitter. I know, but... X formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, which is what the BBC do all the time, isn't it? But um, anyway, so he tweeted out, hi... How's everyone doing? And then there were tens of thousands of people responded and told him how they were doing. Like literally, they, literally. Literally, I'm struggling to pay my bills. The world's on fire. Um, I'm really lonely. I don't know what to do. You know, like this just outpouring of angst, which is both an incredible thing that they, you know, they found, found a space <laughs> responding to Elmo but also a really sad thing, right? Because the suggestion might be that they don't have, those people don't have someone they can talk to, mm. which is a tragedy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Anyone else they can talk to or talk to honestly, I suppose, without someone judging them for it. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That The strange thing is that the other week I had the privilege and the agonising reality of being one of a couple of people who led the funeral and wake for Camilla Batman Gala, who, you know, ran Kids Company, the charity, and then lots of lies were told about 
lack of financial management and sexual abuse taking place. Yeah. You know, yeah. that charity that work therapeutically with children, mm. caring for them, loving for them on a massive scale. Mm. Anyway, Kids Company in 2015 was brought down because of these allegations that were put out by the BBC, on the BBC and in newspapers, etc. Everybody joined in. But I didn't believe them. Uh, mm. I knew Camilla a little bit. She'd mm. helped us at Oasis yeah. in things. Yeah, absolutely. And so in the week or two following, the week following all this, I rang her one morning, early, I remember, and about half eight in the morning, I said, Camilla, I don't believe all this. Would you like to come and work with Oasis? Because I don't want you to be stranded on your own. And the truth is, she worked alongside us, mm. as you know, for mm. for years and helped us with our thinking around all of this stuff. But the point was, she died on January the 1st, yeah, and uh, which was a tragedy. And then I found myself at Oasis big auditorium in Waterloo in London, responsible for a huge overflow yeah. for her funeral, hundreds of people, yeah. and then awake. And literally the building was rammed. I mean, it's like extraordinary thing. But what got me was it's, it's a reflection on what you just mm. said about this Elmo story. Members of the family and close friends spoke about her and then I was the MC, and I, I I made kind of open mic and I asked people to queue if they wanted to say anything about it. And there's this hugely long queue wow. of people and they came up one at a time, one at a time. And each one of them, now adults, uh, because she did this work for a long time, would say things like, if it wasn't for Camilla, I'd be dead. Wow. My life's been saved. I'd be in prison. I'd be in hospital for mental illness. Yeah. And it went on and on like this. And then this guy, Craig, came up, who I spoke to afterwards. I sought him out amongst the crowd and had a long chat with him about perhaps whether in the future he might come and do some work with us. Yeah. But he stood up and uh, he said, I'm the father of two children. I'm married and I'm the father of two children. And uh, I, uh, I work in the building industry. He said, but when I was a kid, no one ever spoke to me except as a number or a case. And he talked a bit about his family background and he was on his own. Yeah. And he said, I was involved in crime and was constantly sitting in offices for the police and the social service. But, but I was always a number, always a case. And then somebody pointed to this big woman with a turban on, you know, <laughs> yeah. Camilo Batman Gale, well-known down there. Yeah. And they said, you should talk to her. And he said, I'm not talking to her. She looks like a fruitcake. Yeah. And she literally looked like a fruitcake <laughs> sometimes because of it. But he said, in the end, I went and sat with her. And for the first time in my whole life, and he was crying as yeah. he said this, somebody saw me. I was a person, well, not a number. Yeah not a case. And then he said, and that's why I'm alive. Wow, that's so powerful. It's that, um, I was thinking just as you were telling that story, you know, that it's that, I think it's from South Africa, that saying where they, the way that they, they that they greet people is not, hi, how, how are you? It's, um, I see you. Yeah. And the response is, I am here. There's something, there's something about being seen, isn't there? And, like I, I know you know about 
it's not Michael Bublé, it's um, Martin Buber, <laughs> uh, a philosopher. Um, Who lived a bit before. Yeah, Michael Bublé. But he, he talked about this, didn't he? The I-Thou relationship yeah. and the I-It. Um, well, he wrote a very famous book in the 1920s. I can never quite remember when, 1922, no, mm. four or five or six, something yeah, like yeah. that, in German. It was German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wrote it in German. And then it was another 10 years or so before it was published in English. And in English, it was called I, Thou. And it said that all our relationships in life are I, It relationships, or they can become I, Thou. And said that some people never have any I, Thou relationships, wow. even with themselves. And the difference between an I, It and an I, Thou is what we've just been talking yeah. about. An I-it relationship is when you objectify the mm. other person. So, you know, we say, I've got a new bag. Uh, I've got my bike. It's a good bike. Look at my watch. Yeah. I've got a big telly. <laughs> you know, I've got a new coat. I, you know, I want my holidays coming up. And then we talk about my friend, my boss, my colleague. It's all possession. My clients, yeah. my case. Yeah. My case, I'm dealing with this case and that case. Their number, whatever is on my list. And he said, we end up in a position, if we're not careful, where the whole world revolves around us and everybody else is just a bit player yeah. in our lives and it's transactional. They yeah. serve a function. My producer, very handy. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> you see? Yeah. Rather than an I-thou relationship, which is about the meeting of two people yeah. and gazing into the eyes of the other person and recognising them yeah. for who they are and honouring them yeah. as equal to yourself. So how? what suggestions are there? And did, did Buber suggest ways in which that, uh, we can we can get to that place of I thou. Yeah. Well, the the first thing is, you know, I've I've often been asked about Martin Buber because he's hugely famous. I mean, mm. you know, if people you not look him up, it's and oh, everything, unbelievable it's input he had. You know, it's shaping the way we think. And sometimes people have said to me, "Well, why did he call it I thou instead of I you?" Which would have mm. been a lot better. Why don't you? No, it's an I you rather than an I-it relationship. Mm. And the reason actually is because he was German and because he wrote in German. And in German, there are two words for you. There's the formal word for you. So if we work together, if we're colleagues, yeah. I'll talk about I and I'll talk about you, the German word for a formal relationship with another person. Yeah. But the second word for you in German is one of intimacy. It's one that you use when you refer and you're talking to those closest to you, people that you love, people that you care for. So you never use the word you of somebody you met at a bus stop, even though you might like them and sit and have a chat to them, you'd still use the first word you. you. But in German, only that second word, and we only have one word for you mm. in English, or in modern English, which is why it got translated as an I-thou relationship. It's not that just that you're not an it to me anymore. You know, a handy, you know, you're handy to me, transactional, because I can make this podcast with you. 
And then I go home and you was just in my life for that little bit. That was convenient. We knocked that off. It's not just that you become a you. It's that you become thou. Where I see your wonder. Hmm. And if you see mine, if you can dig that deep. (laughs) Right. Get the special glasses on. (laughs) That might be impossible. We might have proved that Martin Buber, there was a fault in his thing. but Joking. (laughs) But then... We have yeah. a really wonderful relationship because I know that you love me and I love you and I'm never going to be worried that you're running me mm. down behind my back, et cetera, et cetera, mm. and vice versa. Yeah. And even I know, uh, you know, that's really fascinating about the German language and that, but even the word thou mm. feels more yeah. sacred, yeah. doesn't it? I know it's old English and all the rest yeah. of it. But it, it feels more sacred. It feels more special. Actually, yeah. it helps understand, helps me to understand the principle yeah. of the thing, which is how do I perceive this other person? Is it a transaction or is it is mm. it more than that? Is it more? Yeah, is it more than that? And you all know that I've worked, I've worked with you in Oasis for donkeys years. How many years is that? Twenty-seven, nearly oh, twenty-eight. 27. Oh boy, there you go, and. <laughs> Equally long with um, Joy, yeah. who um, has worked very closely with me in Oasis. And, and there was one time, and it, it's sometimes raised by people as a as a little story now, there was one time when I was sitting in a room and people were telling me the unkind things that Joy had said about me, you know, it's kind of what was wrong with me and, you know, what I'd done wrong and all the rest of it. And I said to them, you're wrong. You're wrong. Do you know this? You're wrong. That can't be true. And they said, no, it is true. I said, no, it's not. How do you know? I said, because Joy loves me and I love Joy. We have got an I-thou relationship, which is actually one of the key relationships I was able to build Oasis, as you know, because you work closely and so hard. There's got to be total trust between two people, hasn't there? That's an I-thou relationship. And I... Sometimes I hear people talking about that story because they realised that that was the truth. Joy, I know, wouldn't have said those things in any shape or form. So it's that I-thou-ness which we crave in order to thrive. Which makes you think back to that Elmo tweet, like what's missing for people? What's really missing for Mm. people? And... You know, you some of the things at the moment that you know, if if you just watched the news, you would think that everything is bad in the world, mm. um, and there are lots of things that are very difficult in the world, but always there's plenty of good stuff happening too. But some of the things that we are struggling with as the world at the moment, some of the conflicts and you know, horrible stories, situations of gang violence and stabbing and um all of those kind of things i you can't help but feel that like this understanding of i thou would have such a transformational impact on all of that stuff Mm. Mm. i wrote a book which is called being human Mm. and uh, in it one of the things i say is that one of the kind of classic statements of jesus that everybody knows whatever they believe about whether Jesus actually lived or not, they still know that Jesus said, 
love your neighbour as yourself. Mm. You know, it's mm. one of those things, you know, do unto others as you want them to yeah. do to you, that type of thing. What Jesus actually said was love God with all your heart and soul and mind mm. and strength and love your neighbour the way that you love yourself. And in my book, I talk about the fact that a group called the Desert Mothers and Fathers who lived in the third century, you know, in Egypt, in the desert, actually, that's where they were. And they were reflective people and they sat and, and lived in caves and they, they reflected on the teaching of Jesus. And they came to this point where they said, actually, we should do this back, backwards. Jesus said, love God, love uh, and love your neighbour as you love yourself. But we should start with love yourself mm love your neighbour, love God. And I've often thought that what Buber taught about I-thou relationships should be thought of in that way as well, because I don't think that I'm ever capable, capable of loving others and healing these divisions between us in our society. You know, it cancel culture and everybody rubbishes everybody else yeah. on, on Twitter and social yeah. media and everyone yeah. else until I can climb out of that and not return fire with fire. And the only way to do that is to learn to love yourself, yeah. to have an I-thou relationship with yourself, which means shedding your identity and reuniting you with you. Yeah. I often think, you know, I... I I don't know if this is true. You do it well. I assume it is, actually. You get in loads of meetings. You know my life. I get in loads of meetings with officials, government officials, and I'm not picking on government officials, but I've had a couple yeah. today. Everybody's sitting in a room and we're discussing very important. And I haven't got a clue what they're <laughs> what it's about. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, like, often I just say, there's, awesome, there's so many acronyms and long sentences yeah. with masses of complicated yeah. words all strung together. And you're sitting there and people ask me questions and sometimes I can't answer the question because <laughs> I don't know what they said. And and it's finding the courage to say, I well, this one I say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just a bit, I'm a bit thick, I'm a bit slow. I, you couldn't explain that again yeah. to me. And then you can see if it's on a Teams call or a Zoom call, everyone going, like yeah. it's and then, everyone else same position but yeah. it's when we're all playing at being what we're not which yeah. we do a lot of the time i pick up that that circumstance mm. but we do in the whole of life don't mm. we mm. and it's like everything that separates me from being the real me mm. Mm. how do we shed that and only as we come to an i our relationship with ourselves and at peace with ourselves and a love for ourselves, a mm. genuine love for myself, have I not got to take it out on someone else? Yeah. Do you think that's possible, Steve, without a an awareness of the divine? Because you know you said it's like you you come home to you. You, mm. you come home to the true who you really are. That you don't have to hide from anymore. Yeah. Do, or... you, do you think that's intertwined with... Oh, maybe that's where the that's where the God mm. piece is actually. Mm. I do think that, and you know, we turned that early church mothers and fathers mm. thing, love yourself, love others, love God, into a little course that we yeah. run at Oasis Church in Waterloo. You know that I developed out of the the book that I'd mm. written, and um, 
it's amazing. A lot of people say, well, I'd like to come because we do love yourself one week, mm. love others next week, love God, and, and then, you know, what this community is about on the fourth week. And people have said to me in the past, where well, I don't do this, teach this anymore, you know, others do, but people said, well, I'll come to the first one and the second one because I'd like to know about loving myself and loving my neighbour, but I don't do the God stuff. You know, mm. so I always say, well, okay, fine, you know, come to, you know, come to what you come want. Yeah. Cool with me. But it's amazing that no one has ever left after that. And I've done it hundreds yeah, of yeah. times. Yeah. And we do it now. No one's ever left after the two weeks. And it's because I think that as you come to grapple with love for yourself yeah. and self forgiveness and self worth, et cetera, et cetera, and then love for others and reaching out to the person who's other than you, mm. different to you, mm. different ethnicity, different outlook in life, different views in life, different religion mm. or whatever it might be. As you reach out to them and listen to them and embrace them, what you have to do is confront all the prejudices mm. in you and as you go through that, then it makes it harder to love yourself as you confront the prejudices and then you realise that they need, you need a renewal yourself mm. and, and you get to this, I need, I need something that's transcendent, mm. that moment, that bigger thing, that higher power as sometimes people, that spiritual encounter, that charismatic encounter that charismatic moment i don't mean that in the sense yeah, that yeah. it gets used yeah. in churches that moment of charisma that that fires me and you know yeah so i i find that these things fit together now being the follower of jesus i am that doesn't surprise me <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, yeah no absolutely there's that beautiful quote by anthony Demello, which says Behold the one beholding you and smiling. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what that truth is, that as we come home to ourselves mm. and are able to gaze upon ourselves with compassion and grace and mm. all of that, what you suddenly realise is actually that is being held mm. within the gaze of the divine and that's breathtaking yeah i think and then yeah. like you just said it's out of that that the flow of who you are in relationship with others yeah comes relation with it? to yourself and relationship to others you know um uh, talking about i thou in relationship to yourself and i thou in relationship to god and intimacy with with god now i'm not particularly talking about the christian god you mm. know him her whatever you know it's an encounter with the divine the spiritual something bigger than yourself mm. that your life finds meaning but um thing i often tell tell people about is um the i thou relationship with others mm. and um you know cornelia my wife corny as i call her nelly as her I can't believe you've just given that away. <laughs> no, everybody calls her Nelly. She, uh, all the family call her Nelly. And they say, who's Corny? <laughs> and I do, but all our kids yeah, call yeah. her Corny and everybody, you know, say, yeah. anyway, Nelly or Corny. Anyway, that's kind of, anyway, the thing is, when we first got married, her mother, who calls her Nelly, who died sadly at the beginning of um, 
COVID, um, Mary, who was mm. a fantastic person, when we got married, we were 24, just turning 25, so we would have been 25 by then. You know, people say, our first year of marriage was delightful. It's gone a bit downhill since. <laughs> whatever. You know? Our first year of marriage was hell. Not on earth, but in a flat where we lived, you know, like us. Because it was just really difficult. And actually, there was one day when uh, Corny, Cornelia, Nellie, rang up her mum and then phones were always attached to the wall by yeah. long curly cable. So as I was listening, she said, oh, I can't live with him anymore. I can't remember the exactly what she's done a full 24 hours. Bonkers. <laughs> I want to come home. Well, I don't know what Mary, my mother-in-law, said to her. Said to her, but yeah, but it was must have been something like that because she didn't go home. She stayed, <laughs> you know, she stayed. And the funny thing is, it took us a gradual process to get to I thou. I think I started our marriage with I it, mm. if I'm honest. I, and now I've got my wife, mm. you know, mm. kind of thing. And I think probably, I'm not pinning this on Cornelia. She probably felt the yeah, same the about me. Yeah. But the result was both of us were trying to change the other into a version of ourselves and couldn't understand why we had different outlooks and things. And the journey of our marriage, which is 43 and a half years, I think now we've been married, it's been been a long time, (laughs) is the journey to, I think if Cornelia was here, she'd say this, I no longer want her to be me or anything like me and vice versa. Mm. And I think that that is as you reach an I thou. Now, I say that to you and it sounds like idyllic, but probably when I get home, she'll tell me off or something. Do you know what I mean? So we're on the healing isn't a destination. It's a process. process. We're all on the journey. Absolutely. So uh, a Jewish Kabbalistic word, uh, Zimzum, which I think I'm right in saying that is this notion of in order to create, God had to make space for that which needed to be created. So there's like this. So for you and Corny, you had to create space for one another to be who you are. And in I think that's, you know, Steve, as you've talked about the I thou relationship. We need to get better, don't we, at creating that space where which is full of creativity and potential and richness and joy in life where good can come between mm. people. Mm. So, you know, we need to, mm. you know, as we start to think about bringing this particular conversation to a close, I'm just wondering what's, what's a way that people mm. can do that, do you think? Just how do you create that space? I'm thinking two different thoughts as you, you speak. The first is, there's a little phrase occurs in the Bible that I was taught as a kid when I mm. went to go to Sunday school. Do you find God in the storm? Do you find him yeah. in the noise? And then there's a little phrase that says, the still, small voice. And I think some of it is about stopping to listen for the still, small voice mm. of the divine, of hope, of the transcendent, something beyond yourself. And I guess, you know, even in those tough days when Corny and I were first married, you know, after we argued about whatever we were arguing about, you sit down, don't you, on your own eventually, 
and you re-regulate, <laughs> you know, and you gaze in and you listen and you listen to your own stupidity played back to you. Mm. And you know that, though I couldn't have said it then because I don't think I'd ever read anything by Martin Buber back then. But now I'd say I knew that I was seeking after an I-thou relationship rather than an I-it. And I knew that I, I knew it was my problem. And I guess Corny also knew it was her problem. And what we slowly learned to do was actually move from you, from it to you, to thou, where we are about 95% of the time, <laughs> except for the bits where we're not. And the other thing I think that arises out what you say is, is the need for community because I talked about Mary, my mother-in-law. Now, she could have said, yeah, I always knew you married a wrong one. <laughs> you know, come on home or whatever. But I think that's one of the great things about marriage, actually, it's about community. Before before the the law ever got involved and the church got involved with marriage, it was about two communities coming together and celebrating a relationship and then sticking behind these people. And I know that our marriage was made strong because of my mother-in-law. Mm. Do, do you know? She was there. Uh, uh, belonging to community, lots of people say, that's why I'm a lover of church, actually, because it's community. It, it doesn't matter if you like singing songs or not. It's act you belong to a community where you are loved and known, not just like get down the pub because you buy everyone around, but you're 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 loved and known and upheld by people who who you're just another per at one level, it doesn't matter if you're the chief executive of this or the leader of that or whatever, you're just a person. You're just in my case, I'm Steve, you know, in this community. That's a wonderful thing. Because it you're known and loved and held and your rough edges are knocked off, et cetera, mm. et cetera, and it's hard, but it's wonderful. I often say to people, there's only, because people say, oh, it's tough belonging to a community long term. And I always say, yeah, there's only one thing harder. It's not belonging okay. to a community long term. It's where you discover I, thou, instead of I, it. Thank you, Steve. Um, I, thou, community. So behold the one beholding you and smiling. <laughs>